Archaeologists have found evidence that humans were conducting brain surgery more than 3,000 years ago. That's right, the remains of a 15th century BC man found in modern-day Israel showed signs of skull surgery. Researchers are not clear on why the surgery was performed, but it seems the man was very sick and may have suffered from leprosy. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ruth Reader. On Thursday, Moderna executives said that the company would launch a patient assistance program for uninsured individuals to get updated COVID-19 vaccines for free. The company also said in its 2022 fourth quarter and year-end earnings that it expected U.S. demand for COVID-19 vaccines to be 100 million doses this year. Plus, company executives said they anticipate asking the FDA to approve its RSV vaccine candidate later this year. That means it could hit the market by early 2024. Meanwhile, Medicare will not reconsider coverage of certain Alzheimer's drugs. In December, patient advocacy group the Alzheimer's Association asked CMS to reconsider covering monoclonal antibodies that target the proteins thought to cause Alzheimer's. CMS is currently only covering those therapies for patients enrolled in its randomized trial. If the FDA grants one of the therapies traditional approval, CMS said it would cover the drug for patients already enrolled in a registry to track the drug's benefits over time. And I talked with Vivek Murthy earlier this week about mental health, which has become a major focus in his second go as Surgeon General of the United States. Murthy is particularly focused on how to help kids. I wanted to talk to him about social media and the guidelines he's issued on how to support youth mental health. Hi, everyone. You know, mental health is such a focus for you. How and why? Like, obviously, it has been a focus for past Surgeon Generals, which I think you've written about even. But, you know, you're your own person. So why is this issue so important to you or what made you sort of latch on to it? For many of us who work on mental health, it comes from a, a place of personal experience. And I'm no different. As a young person, I struggled a lot with my mental health, but didn't have the words to describe my struggles and didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about it because I was ashamed of what I was going through. Uh, later, when I became a doctor, I came to see that so many people were struggling with their mental health. They might have come into the hospital for a pneumonia or a blood clot, but it turned out that there was often mental health struggles in the background. But it was when I became Surgeon General in 2014, Ruth, that I really came to see that mental health was really not unique to my own experience or the patients I had cared for. It was a, a national problem. When you look at the statistics around us, it's hard not to escape uh, the idea that we are not only in a mental health crisis, but one that is worsening. Uh, and if we do not do something about it, it will continue to have profound consequences for us. And, and that's the final piece of this is that to me, mental health is more than just one more health issue for us to deal with. Our mental health is the fuel that allows us uh, to show up in our lives. It impacts our physical health. It impacts our productivity in the workplace. It impacts how our kids do in school. Our mental health is really fundamental to our health and to the well-being of society. It's interesting that you started in 2014. You know, recently you've been asked to weigh in on this issue of social media, right? And social media is a really big concern right now, especially how it's impacting our kids. And in the wake of the pandemic, especially during lockdown, where more and more people were online. And you also said just now, you know, we're in a mental health crisis. I'm curious if you think that though mental health and people's struggles with it has been an ongoing thing, I'm curious if you think that the nature of the problem has changed in this country 
Well, I think people have struggled with mental health for generations, but I do think something is different now. Uh, I think the extent to which people are struggling uh, seems to be getting worse, as, uh, you know, especially over recent years. But I also think the forces that are driving those mental health challenges are different as well. And you're also having to deal with new technology, in particular social media, which is something that prior generations did not have to grow up with. Social media is not an unmitigated, you know, good or bad. You know, like all technology, it has mixed benefits. But why worry with social media is that even though it was perhaps begun as part of an effort to build community and connection, and even though it may have served that purpose for some kids, for too many children, the overall impact of social media has been quite negative, contributing to their sense of anxiety, their sense of loneliness. You know, I do think young people today are facing a unique set of circumstances that are driving their mental health challenges. And the truth is many adults are struggling with similar challenges as well, managing their own use of social media and technology. And when it comes to our kids, we are pitting our children against the best product designers in the world. We are asking them to somehow summon the willpower and the insight to be able to navigate the time they spend and the experience they have on social media so that it's ultimately healthy for them. And we're asking their parents to support them in doing the same. But how are they supposed to do that when the best product designers in the world have come together to create platforms that maximize how much time our kids spend on them? This is not a fair fight. It's why I do think that policymakers and others need to be on the sides of parents and kids. I'm on the side of parents and kids on this, uh, and I'll keep working on this issue and speaking up on it until we have the kind of environment that our kids really need and deserve to be healthy and safe. And it's interesting, you know, recently when you were on CNN, you were talking about this and you were talking about what we need as response to that. Obviously, you've written about youth mental health in a broader context and given guidance for parents and things like that. But in this conversation with CNN, you were talking about sort of what we need from social media companies in order to sort of better manage how we interact with their platforms. Uh, you called for transparency into, you know, both how kids are being adversely affected, but also which kids, right? And then you also talked about the need for safety standards. And I was really curious about that. I'm curious what you think safety standards could look like like. I know you, in the in the conversation, you had talked about it sort of like the same way that we think about, you know, food labels, right? Or, or drug labels. Sure. So I, I do think there are a number of steps we can take to make social media safer uh, for our children and potentially for, uh, for all of us. I don't think at this point that leaving it entirely to the companies to figure this out is going to work because it hasn't worked for many years, right? We are seeing things get worse with our kids, not better in terms of their mental health. And so I do think from a policy perspective, a few key things we can do. One is raise the age at which kids can use social media. My belief is that 13 is too young. And I say that based on the data that I've seen. And, uh, and I know that I'm not alone, you know, in, in sharing that view. Uh, many parents also, it turns out, agree. The second is we need to require data transparency from companies so that we understand the full impact on the mental health and well-being of our kids that these platforms have. Uh, you know, independent researchers tell us all the time that they don't have access to this data from the companies. And yet when some of that data does get leaked, we find uh, in some instances that it does point to harm, particularly to young women and young girls when it comes to body image. So, uh, you know, data transparency is absolutely essential. But the third is around safety standards. And look, what I worry about with social media is that for t too many kids, uh, they get exposed to harmful content. They also can get bullied on social media. They can be 
allowed onto social media at too young an age because the age restrictions aren't being enforced. And we know that that's the case right now. You know, University of Michigan studies showing that 50% of parents of kids who are 10 through 12 say their kids are on social media, even though they're under 13. A third of parents of kids seven through nine say their kids are on social media, even they're well below 13. So safety standards need to ensure that we both understand the harms and potential harms to our kids and that we that steps are being taken by the platforms to mitigate and minimize those harms. Uh, you think about it, uh, most of the products that exist in my house, in your house, and I suspect most people's houses, had to meet some safety standard before they were sold to consumers. This is particularly true of items that are sold for children. Yet social media is being used by billions of people without effective safety standards. So it sounds like you think that there is a role for policymakers to help augment that experience online. Absolutely. That doesn't mean that uh, decisions should be taken away from parents here. You know, if parents know their kids well and parents should be able to to make decisions they think are best for their children. But parents are clearly telling us now, and I talk to parents all the time across the country, that they need help, that this is hard to figure out entirely on their own and manage on their own. This is an extraordinary force, social media, that has been unleashed on the population, a grand national experiment, if you will, that's being performed you know, on, on our kids uh, without us having uh, the data to understand its impact and the ability to control it. And You've been talking a lot to parents, as I understand it, and that sounds like something you're going to keep doing. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that work? One of the, my favorite things to do as Surgeon General is to travel uh, to the communities across the country and to listen to people and, and learn from them. And I've had a, a chance you know, to, to travel to many, many cities across the country talking to parents and kids. These conversations are, are really important to me because they, I'll tell you the most common question I get from parents when it comes to mental health is about social media. They ask me, is social media hurting my children? And how do I manage it is usually the follow-up question. And from kids also, the most common things they tell me about social media is it makes them feel worse about themselves and they can't get off of it. You know, all of these continue to, to raise my level of concern. It also emphasizes to me that mental health is the defining public health challenge of our time. And it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so glad that, uh, that we have made mental health a priority as a country. President Biden and I have talked about mental health you know, a number of times over the last couple of years, and I know there's something he cares deeply about, and this is an area of bipartisan interest. Uh, I've not seen in my nearly 30 years in public health the amount of bipartisan support, public interest and support uh, and engagement on this topic. But it's why in the last couple of years, look, we've been able to dramatically expand the amount of funding for treatment with expansion of certified community behavioral health centers and investments in telemedicine. It's also why we're making these unprecedented investments now in schools, uh, you know, through the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act and, and other bills that have gotten resources for counselors and for mental health support programs into schools. So we've done a lot. We've got a lot more to do. Uh, and that's why we're going to keep working on mental health until every child and every parent has the help and support that they need. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been really great talking to you on this topic. Well, I'm so glad that we spoke about this as well, Ruth. And uh, thanks for your interest in mental health. And we'll look forward, look forward to talking more about this. There's a lot more to say. <laughs> and that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Raghu Manavalan is our editor. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ruth Reeder. 
Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.